Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and as part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series, we have an amazing interview with Smithsonian Associate Chris Thurgood, author of the excellent new book, Chasing Plants, Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforests, Swamps, and Mountains. Thank you so much for listening. We have got a great guest today whom I'll introduce in just a moment, but quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 709th episode when I spoke to Ralph White, who has written the excellent, and I mean this, the excellent new book, Getting Out of Saigon. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Hollywood casting director Joel Thurm, who has written the hilarious new book, Sex, Drugs, and Pilot Season, Confessions of a Casting Director. Excellent subjects, both for our Not Old Better Show audience. If you missed those shows, along with any others, you can go back and check them out along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. Remember, you can Google Not Old Better and get everything you need to know about us. Our guest today, Smithsonian Associate Chris Thurgood, is Deputy Director and Head of Science at the University of Oxford Botanic Garden and Arboretum. And Chris is an acclaimed illustrator, beautifully capturing plants from around the world. In his new book, Chasing Plants, Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforests, Swamps, and Mountains. Chris Thurgood is a field botanist. Chris Thurgood will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates live from the UK and coming up. So please check out our website for more details about Chris Thurgood's Smithsonian Associates presentation titled Chasing Plants. As a field botanist, Chris Thurgood lives a life of adventures across Europe, Africa and the Middle East and Asia. Chris Thurgood has clambered over cliffs and up erupting volcanoes and trekked through typhoons. Along the way, he's encountered pitcher plants, irises, and orchids of unimaginable beauty. Smithsonian associate Chris Thurgood joins us today to tell us about his travels, discovering rare plants, and his vivid paintings, and he'll share details of hair-raising excursions and explains the vital work he and other botanists are doing to protect the world's plants. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associate Chris Thurgood. Chris Thurgood, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us. I'm excited to talk about this subject. It uh, It's spring here where I live, so we're starting to get plants, beautiful plants are starting to uh, to kind of pop up all over the place. I know our audience is going to be very interested in your subject matter. Of course, you've written the new book, Chasing Plants, uh, Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforests, Swamps, and Mountains. I'm excited to talk to you about that. But why don't we begin by just hearing from you a little bit about what you're going to tell our audience uh, at your upcoming presentation and maybe describe a little bit about some of the images that you might share with our audience because I think the the pictures, your paintings are beautiful and very rich and and, and uh, the, the colors are amazing. And I think they'll really come out nicely for our audience if you want to describe them a little bit. Sure. Thank, well, thanks very much, Paul. Thank you for, for the compliment. And I'm, I'm a botanist and I'm also an artist. So um, I spend some of, some of my time looking at plants in beautiful places around the world. I've been very fortunate in my career to visit all sorts of some very remote places actually to, to look at plants and as a as an artist I, I have a sort of um, 
it feels like the best way to describe it is like a bolt of electricity that runs through me when I when I find a plant that really excites me. And and I the way I think of it is I, I sort of capture and hold that electrical energy. And then later when I'm home, I sort of download that steadily in the form of color, almost like an ex, almost like earthing or i think as you as you say the other side of the pond grounding is it the electricity so, yeah. <laughs> um, so i sort of ground the, the current uh, through paint um, and and so for me that's that's a way of making sense of, of the beautiful things that i've been very fortunate to see and during this talk which is going to be held on the 27th of april on, on zoom i will be sharing uh, through my artwork, some of those experiences that I've been lucky enough to have around the world looking at plants. Well, we're excited for it, and, and thank you for that for that background. So have you felt this excitement your whole life? Did it come as a result of study? Did you really feel it as a young person, and then that's what led to your professional pursuit and, and study? Yeah, yes, actually, Paul. Paul I, I did, and I'm... Um, I think I'm a mildly obsessive person. I think it's fair to say. Um, and and as a as a child, I was quite obsessed by natural things. It wasn't just plants; it was mainly plants, but but also all living things. So I had pet toads, for example, <laughs> in the back garden, and um, you know, stick insects and all the usual things that, <laughs> that that kids like. And I was also very interested in in sea life. But plants for me. Um, always captured my imagination and I still remember very distinctly my my bedroom windowsill as a child was uh, festooned jammed full of plants that that sort of um, um, sort of entwined around the the curtain poles and meant you couldn't really close the curtains and I had fish tanks on my windowsill like aquariums that I would fill full of tropical plants as well so they were like a little rainforest on my windowsill so um, I was always fascinated by plants. And then I always wanted to draw them, actually, and to paint them as well. So I remember documenting the life cycles of these plants. And I'm, I'm a scientist, first and foremost. That's what botanists are with scientists. And so I look at a plant and think, well, how, how does this plant work? And why is it the way it is? And how can I make sense of it? And so illustration was, in a way, a means for me of making sense of the plant world as well. So the, so the two went hand in hand. Yes. And they, they, they go hand in hand, definitely, in your new book, Chasing Plants, Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforest, Swamps, and Mountains. We're with author and botanist Chris Thorogood. Chris Thorogood will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up. And we will put links so that our audience can find out more information about Chris's presentation. It will be Thursday, April 27th via Zoom. And the book is getting great reviews. The pictures are beautiful. The images, this kind of travel log that you take us on is amazing. In the book, I, I read that you you say, I've chased plants for as long as I can remember. I've learned the language of them, how to read the land with them and how to speak to its people through them. Knowing plants lets you see a place differently, read the forest's mind, and listen to the language of them. I thought that was fantastic. Maybe tell us a little bit about what you mean by how to speak to its people through the plants, because I thought that was a fascinating way of communicating. Thanks, Paul. Um, so botanists typically don't work in isolation. So we, we work together, and, and the way I think of it, these days as well as we work together to save the world's flora so botanists tend to be very passionate um, about plants and 
in recent years, the plight of plants as, as well. So many plant species around the world are, are threatened with extinction. So we've got a big job to do. Um, also in terms of building awareness of plants. So before I answer your question directly, when we think of conservation, people tend to think about animals. And so if you, if you speak to someone about, you know, what, what does conservation mean to you? They'll often tell you about rhinos, sharks, tigers, um, various other mammals, but, but few people will ever mention plants. But actually, we're all reliant on plants of our very existence, and, and they, they really are in conservation concern. So botanists have this concerted global effort to, to save plants. In terms of speaking the language of plants, a specific example I can think of is, is when I was in um, the wilderness in Japan. So I remember on a particular excursion to Hokkaido, where we were doing some vegetation surveys in the Daisetsuzan, which is a very remote and very beautiful wilderness, actually. And um, my colleague, Ben, who's the curator of the Arboretum here in Oxford, um, joined me on, on this expedition. And we were accompanied by two botanists from Japan who actually spoke no English at, at all. And um, it's incredible how much we were able to communicate through, through the language of plants. Um, actually, in Japan, I found that, that people have um, their own taxonomy for, for plants. So we all use common names and vernacular for, for, for plants, um, but scientific names are, are the common language of those plants. But, but in Japan, they have a very meticulous um, taxonomy that, that, that is used in, in, in Japanese for these plants. But I just remember walking up this, this mountainside with these other botanists and, and communication in some ways was, was difficult because we didn't share the, the same language, but, it, but in other ways, we, we, we shared the language that matters, which is the language of plants. That's wonderful. That that's really lovely. I think we we all need different ways to communicate these days and and to uh, make connections. And plants being outside is a is a way that I know our audience really enjoys connecting. You've traveled so far and wide, and and you mentioned a couple of the locations you've um, uh, searched for plants all over the globe and and done seed collecting and cataloging of plants. Has there been a particular plant that you've sought to find but couldn't has just eluded you <laughs> yeah um so i like to think um that i i have a a, a gift for finding plants i have an instinct for them so <laughs> so generally i'm very fortunate in this respect that if i set out to find a plant maybe it's sheer determination i don't know <laughs> but if, if i if i want to find something I, I tend to find it but but that can't always be the case and you know there are um close to probably close to 400,000 species of flowering plant, depending on your definition. So it's impossible to, to have uh, to seen even a, a fraction of those. But sometimes I will set out to find a plant and, and you're not always successful and that can be disappointing. I remember on the islands of Okinawa in the subtropical rainforest, looking for a very rare and elusive plant called Oxygyna. Um, and it's blue and it has no leaves. It, it looks absolutely remarkable. It doesn't look like any other plant I know. And, and it doesn't actually appear in the book Chasing Plants for the, for the, for the reason that I never found it. And we, we looked for it and it, it's, a, it's a little flower, as I say, it has no leaves and it sometimes doesn't even emerge above the leaf litter on the forest floor. So it's very transient, very difficult to find and few people have ever seen it actually. I've, I've never, met, never met anyone that has. And so we we looked for it on on the island, and we and we we never found that one. So so once in a while it, it does happen. <laughs> I look for a plant, and I can't find it. 
Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. Well, again, the book, Chasing Plants, Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforests, Swamps, and Mountains by our guest today, Chris Thurgood. Chris, the book is getting great reviews online. As a matter of fact, Forbes magazine has said that this book is filled with adventure and the images and paintings will inspire future generations also to explore this world, to admire what they find, to protect these wonders that they may have only read and dreamt about in their youth, and to work to leave the world a better place. Highly recommended. That's from Forbes magazine. I didn't, I hadn't seen that, but that's lovely to hear. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. I think that just says a lot. And I think to our to our audience of of older adults and to their families, I think it will mean a lot to see the uh, the broad reach and interest uh, of of your writing. The art is beautiful too in the book, as as I mentioned, absolutely gorgeous. And um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what's led you to become an artist. I mean, certainly being an author. Uh, is artistic in in pursuit. Being a scientist uh, probably has much in the way of art, but now drawing. Have you always drawn? I have, Paul. I've, I've always drawn. I've always, um, I'm quite a visual person and I've always um, scribbled and sketched and sought to make sense of the worlds around me in, in, in that way. And I mentioned at, at the beginning of our conversation that there are these moments um, that I've spent with plants they're very difficult for me to de- describe accurately in words and i think in some ways actually i'm i'm better able to mm-hmm. to capture them visually in, in the medium of paint but you know if you can imagine sitting on a um a, a misty mountainside in borneo with mountains sort of concertinaing out on the horizon in the mist as far as the eye can see with branches dripping with mosses, lichens and, and orchids all around you. And then these magnificent pitcher plants, these extraordinary geometric pitches that have a sort of exacting mathematical beauty to them. And to spend a moment with a plant like that in a special place is, is magical, actually, and, and electric. And, and so I sort of remember these moments. I wouldn't say I've I've, um, I wouldn't say my memory is any different to, to anyone else's. And yet these moments I remember with, with lucid clarity, um, highly visual, highly electric. And then um, when I come home and, and I have the time, I sort of download these onto canvas and paint. And that helps me make sense of, of, of the wonder that, that I've seen. So I'm, I'm a very fortunate person. I'm, I, I feel very lucky that I'm able to see these wonderful places. Um, and so for me, this is a way of, of making sense of that. Um, artistically. Well, thank you again for that too, because I, I feel we're very we're very fortunate to have this and to because not all of us will be able to go and 
see some of these see some of these plants and, and visit them in person. Do you, do you sell your artwork too? Do you use it for um, fundraising? I mean, I, I know our, I know our audience is going to be interested in in learning that too. Yeah. Um, so ge- generally, the, the the process to me is, is is interesting because I mentioned at the beginning that I'm a, a sort of mildly obsessive person, and when I'm working on a painting, it's it's it can be quite consuming actually. Um, the, the experience it's it's very involved. Very immersive. I, I get very involved in, in what I'm doing, and a lot of passion goes into the process. When the painting is done, and I, I sort of allude to this towards the end of the book, actually, it's very interesting that the, the passion is sort of expended during the process, and then at the end, I know when the work is done because I I get sort of bored of looking at it, quite honestly. <laughs> so. And so the the upshot of that is that I tend to have lots of paintings knocking around in my studio in big piles, and and I I, I spend all my time doing them, and then very little time actually organising um, for them to be exhibited. I did last year exhibit in an exhibition called Planty, which is a big um, exhibition that we hold in London um, for um, fellows at the Society of Botanical Artists here, uh, which I'm proud proud to be a member of. And, and so once in a while I'll, I'll exhibit there, but. Um, but no, generally, I'm always interested in the opportunity um, to do that, and I'd love to do that in, in, the, in the states. That would be that would be nice. Um, but generally, they sort of sit in in piles gathering dust, which is something I'm a little ashamed of. But but the, the, for me, the process it's about the process and generating this art. And then if they go into books and people can see them and connect with them in some way, then that for me is is what's most important. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. That's important too. Among the many areas of research that you focus on is the evolution of parasitic and carnivorous plants, conservation of parasitic plants. What does our audience need to know about the conservation of parasitic plants? Maybe begin telling us a little bit about what parasitic plants, parasitic plants are. are. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, would be, that would be uh, Of course. Yeah. I, I'd love to do this. And, and, and I should say that the Parasites biologically, because the word has connotations, potentially negative connotations. It's not an aberration in nature. It's it's a it's a normal process, and and um, just as in animals, in in the plant kingdom, you have parasites, plants that are parasitic on other plants. The, the one that people tend to be familiar with, at least here in the UK, would be mistletoes. Um, you know, because they grow on tree branches and they they steal their food from from trees. But by and large, most parasitic plants do little harm to the the plant that they steal from the so-called host. Mm-hmm. And I've always been fascinated in, in these plants, Paul, because they they challenge our notion of what a plant actually is and how it behaves. So many parasitic plants are devoid of leaves. They have no chlorophyll. They don't photosynthesize. Many don't even have roots. And so what you're left with is something that is very unplant-like. Um, and so I'm very interested in finding ways to engage people with plants and to think of plants in a different way. And for me, parasitic plants are a very useful way of, of doing that. In terms of their conservation, um, they've been very much ignored and neglected by conservation biologists, by, by botanists. Many people think that they're impossible to grow and they are quite difficult. But in a, a study I did with some co-authors last year, we estimate that 76% of them are absent and, um, from um, botanic gardens or in cultivation. And I think actually that number is an underestimate. That's just as good as the databases that informed it. Wow. And so it, really it's it's a big gap in our conservation strategies. And these plants are are missing from conservation, which means that they're particularly vulnerable in the wild. So so they get a bit of a, t- a tough time. So I'm always 
in the market for for, <laughs> for singing the virtues of parasitic plants. What can our audience do to help kind of support conservation efforts? Yeah, I, I think um, from a from a general point of view, I, I would encourage people to to, to look closely at, at the plant world and and, and to, to see the, the beauty that's there all around us. So in in the book, I of course I, I take us on a bit of a, an adventure and we go around the world. But I also try subtly to make the point that 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 we don't need to do that as well. I mean, that's part of my job as a botanist in, in conservation to go to these places, but actually. There's a whole world at our feet, whether it's a moss or, or a lichen. Um, even weeds can, can, can be beautiful as, as well. And some of the plants that I've seen that have been very exciting for me have been in um, car parks of Ikea, as I mentioned in the book, and also, um, you know, industrial places. You, you can find interesting plants everywhere. And I think um, we need to start there. And I'm very interested in ways that we can engage and infuse young people, particularly with plants, because young people will be the future custodians of our living planet, of the, the biosphere. And we need to find ways to infuse and excite people uh, with plants because we will only care for what we uh, we will only protect what we know to care for and what we know to exist. And, and, and so we do need to, to foster, I think, a greater care and attention for the plant world specifically, and particularly among young people, so that we can galvanise a new generation of, of um, conservation um, advocates and, and botanists in the future. That's helpful. Very inspiring, too. I, I, I just believe the same. I think it's, it's the next generation that we're going to have to really engage, although there's much to be done still. We locally gather milkweed, my wife and I do, and, and plant some of the – because they're bee, they generate so much uh, activity with, with local uh, bees. And so that's, a, that's a, I think, something else that – and you, you reference it too, this idea that even weeds can be beautiful uh, you know, organisms. Well, Chris Thurgood, I know you're so busy. Uh, we so appreciate your time. Again, author of the new book, Chasing Plants, Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforest, Swamps, and Mountains, your new book. You've written many books, and I just want to ask you a final question um, because another one of your books still to this day gets an awful lot of attention. I found it online, a lot of activity surrounding it, a lot of comments, really very positive comments. You you wrote about weird plants. And so I wonder if you just touch on us, maybe take us out with perhaps the weirdest plant that you've ever found and, and what makes it so weird. <laughs> um, what, what a lovely question. So, yes, I, I seem to be known as the guy that <laughs> made a career out of weird plants. They seem to, they seem to haunt me. Uh, there's one in particular, actually, um, that I mentioned in both the, both the books that, that you mentioned, Paul, in Weird Plants and in Chasing Plants. And it's it's one that um, it seems to stalk me online as well. 15 years ago, no one had ever heard of this. And I remember talking to botanists about it and people outside of the parasitic plant world, which is a very small world, um, didn't know about it. It's called Hidnora and it's an African genus of, of plants. It grows in, in the semi-deserts of, of southern Africa particularly. And it's a, it's a strange and fascinating and, dare I say, rather ugly plant called yes it's called hidnora and it's um it's another of these parasitic plants so it's a vampire if you will that that sucks the sap out of other plants and i remember finding it in south africa um over a decade ago now and it was a really hot day and i remember 
um, climbing through this the, the shimmering desert among the tortoises and, and giant ants. And I found this strange mouth-like flower. Someone described it looking like a, a cantaloupe melon that had been cut into, and I can see the likeness. Wow. But this sort of mouth-like plant sort of um, forced its way out of the, the, the dry ground as if it was about to grab my foot. And I mean, it doesn't move, this, this plant, but it's an extraordinary and remarkable-looking thing. And again, it's never been grown, or, well, actually, there is one anecdotal report, but it's never been grown um, repeatedly outside of its native range. So many of these plants are absent from cultivation as well. So a fascinating thing. And, and that, I think, has probably got to be the, the weirdest, <laughs> the weirdest thing I've seen. Well, Chris Thurgood, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the book, again, titled Chasing Plants. Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforest Swamps and Mountains. Uh, again, we'll put links so that our audience can find out more information about Chris Thurgood, about his upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, all of his cool work. It's been a fascinating time with you. I know your upcoming presentation at Smithsonian will be equally fascinating. I want to encourage our audience to check out Chris's new book, Chasing Plants, as well as his presentation. But Chris Thurgood, thanks. Congrats on everything. Hopefully your day, the rest of your day is good. I, I know it's a little bit later your time, so we sure appreciate all that you've been able to give us today for being so generous. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you. My thanks to Smithsonian Associate Chris Thurgood for his time today. Chris Thurgood will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates live from the UK and coming up. So please check out our website for more details about Chris Thurgood's Smithsonian Associates presentation titled Chasing Plants. Please check out Chris's new book, beautifully illustrated by Chris himself, titled Chasing Plants. Journeys with a botanist through rainforests, swamps, and mountains. My thanks always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful, not old, better show audience on radio and podcast. Please be well and be safe, and let's talk about better, the not old, better show. Remember, just Google not old, better for everything you need to know about us. But thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. Thank you.